Judges, and I'll let you stay seated. We're just going to read one verse tonight. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. The Bible says there, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And if there is one verse that sums up the book of Judges, Judges 17.6 pretty well sums it up. Let's pray, and we'll speak tonight on this topic of going in cycles. Let's pray. God, I do ask that tonight you would help us to understand the book of Judges, and Lord, not just to have a head knowledge of it, but to leave with an application of what we've understood. And Lord, that Lord, you'd help us not to live in the cycle of sin. Lord, if there's one thing I have had the opportunity to view as a pastor these last nine months are just how many people are stuck in this cycle. And truth be told, many more than come in my office are stuck in this cycle. Some with life-altering sins that uh, have to do with uh, drugs. Others with uh, sins that may not have as heavy a consequence, but definitely limit and keep us stuck in a mediocre lifestyle. And so whether it's a heavy sin uh, or, Lord, a sin that uh, is equivalent to mediocrity, May we identify the sin, identify the cycle, and Lord, through great power, break from it. I pray you'd give me clarity of mind as I preach and teach tonight. And Lord, also that you would just sit on the ear of those listening and help them to not just listen with their, their, their head, but to listen with their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Judges is believed to have been authored by Samuel. And with great reason, it's said that Samuel was Israel's last judge. More about that in a minute. The book tells the story of what happens when God's people neglect him. That's really the essence of the book. What happens when God's people neglect him? I find it interesting how uh, God had Samuel word, Judges 17.6. In the middle of the verse there, it says, There was no king in Israel. But the truth is, there was a king in Israel. His name is God. And God is the king of kings. He's the king of kings. He wanted his people to follow him and follow his law. He did not want to put a corrupt man in his place. The issue wasn't that there wasn't a king. The issue was that Israel's king was not being followed and was not being obeyed. It was as though there was no king in Israel because the king they had was being ignored. Was being ignored. In fact, Samuel, which I mentioned a moment ago, was the, who was their last judge, had to deal with the people giving him an ultimatum about them wanting a king. Flip over with me to your right there to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we find this ultimatum that the people are giving Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, 6, and 7 we'll read. And then once you uh, uh, once we read that, we're going to look at one other place here in 1 Samuel before we go back to Judges. It says there, beginning in verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now, Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, 
Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Just proof positive that, yes, Israel did have a king, but this king was being ignored, and this king was God. I also find it fascinating in this passage how they said that they wanted a king to judge them like all the other nations. Like all the other nations. They looked around at all the pagan countries around them, and they wanted to have it because all the other countries had it. And what a terrible reason to want something. Truth, truth be told, the reason why Israel struggled with a lot of sins was because they wanted what all the other people around them had. They were giving in to peer pressure. But that's not the point of the sermon tonight. We'll get on that another time. Turn back over to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 27. This is also a book that shows us why we should deal thoroughly with sin. Thoroughly with sin. Judges is proof positive that as a Christian, you must deal thoroughly to expel any habitual sin and every habitual sin out of your life. It's not good enough to say, well, I'm cleaned up mostly. I've got most of it figured out. Because some of those sins that you haven't beat back all the way, if you let them be, they will come back and haunt you. Look at verse 27 of 1 Samuel 1. The Bible says, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheehan. Look down at verse 28. Skip down to verse 28 of 1 Samuel 1. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. The Israelites grew weary of battling their enemies. They did enough to settle into some land, and then they quit before expelling the entire enemy. Look at Judges chapter 2, back in Judges. will be the rest of the night uh, mostly. I'll reference some verses outside of Judges, but we'll keep you in the book of Judges the rest of the night. Judges chapter 2 and verse 1. We see here, in, rather in verse 1, we see that an angel of the Lord comes to rebuke them. Look down at verse 3. It says there, Judges 2, 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Now, why were these people going to be a thorn in the side of the Israelites? Why was it that the angel would not drive them out? The reason is, when they were conquering the promised land, they did not completely conquer the promised land. They got to a place where they had conquered enough land to settle, and they looked at uh, some heathen people that God wanted them to drive out of the land that were way out in the distance, and they said, you know what? It's good enough. It's good enough. We'll let them be... We're tired of fighting. Let's split up the land we've conquered and let's just live on what we had. In Judges chapter 2, we see where the angel of the Lord is rebuking them. In verse 3, we see where he says, they're going to be a thorn in your side forever moving forward. And you know what you find in the book of Judges is that every time Israel slides into sin, one of these countries that they did not drive out comes and captures them and brings them into slavery. What's the application to you and I here quickly by way of introduction? If you do not conquer known sin in your life, maybe you've got it beat down to where it's just a secret sin. At some point, it is going to spoil your life. At some point, it's going to rise up and it's going to tackle you 
and it's going to conquer you. Uh, it's one it's one mindset and mentality to beat it back all the way, to rip up all the, the weeds out of your spiritual garden, if you will, and have a new one grow up. We all can have new sins grow up or sins that we had beat and come back, but it's another thing to beat it down to a level where you have it maintained to a private life that nobody knows about, but yet you're still really struggling with it. You come to church and you're all cleaned up, but in private, everybody knows that you're struggling. And those are the ones that will end up coming along and capturing you and bringing you into slavery. I believe that as Christians, we must deal wholeheartedly with sinful habits of our past. Many Christians will deal with a sin just enough to appease those that love them. Well, as long as my wife doesn't know about it. As long as my husband doesn't know about it. As long as my pastor doesn't know about it, my children don't know about it. If I can keep it hidden, just secret enough, then everything's going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that those secret sins, God hates them. God wants you not to have any affection towards sin, but to have an affection on Him. He wants you to love Him. What does James 1 tell us? It says in verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, well, it bringeth forth death. Death. Sin always kills. So, deal with sin. Deal with it thoroughly. Deal with it completely. Proverbs 6.27 words it this way. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You can't play with fire. You can't play with fire without eventually burning yourself. Pet sins will eventually ruin your life. Sin brings about a painful cycle. This evening we will look at how that cycle wrecked havoc on Israel for many, many, many generations. Tonight, if you're taking notes, we'll look at four observations out of the book of Judges. Number one there is Israel's moral compass, or rather, Israel's moral collapse. Israel's moral collapse. Look down at Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. Israel's moral collapse. The Bible says there, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Now, you might remember the last time we were here, we talked about Joshua and how that in the very end of the book, uh, Joshua calls the people before him and he says this to him. He says, you, uh, you must... Uh, uh, choose who you'll serve this day, whether it be the gods on the other side of the, uh, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, and I'm, I'm not remembering the verse, of the floods in whose land ye dwell. Uh, uh, but as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. What was he saying? You gotta choose. And what did those people do? They stood there and they said, how are we not gonna follow God? Yes, we reject, we reject the wrong and we're gonna cling to the right. We're going to do what's right. And you know what? Everybody present that day that had a say in Israel, as long as they had a say, the country did what was right. And that's what Judges chapter 2 and verse 7 reminds us of, is that those people, even the little babies that were there, that grew up, you know what they did? They kept Israel going the right direction. But then there came a day when those babies grew up and they had babies. And those babies would one day run the country. And when those babies grew up to become adults and ran the country, we come down to verse 10. Look at verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Very sad saying right here, which knew not the Lord, 
nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. We'll come back to that in a minute. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. There you go again, giving in to peer pressure around them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Quickly, let me say this, is that in order for a person to have a moral collapse, in order for a country to have a moral collapse, uh, there is a changing of who you worship. There is a changing over of who you worship. If you want to have a high moral compass, if you want to do what's right, if you want to keep your family going down the right uh, direction, if you want your children to grow up loving you and loving the Lord, then do it the Bible way. But if you want your children to land in a bad place, if you want to ruin your family by sin, if you want those things, then you've got to turn around and reject God and rather serve sin. Notice here it says that they served Balaam in verse 11. The end of verse 13 it says they served Baal and Ashtaroth. All three of these, Balaam, Baal, and Ashtaroth, represent a different type of sin. And because this is a macro study of the book, I don't have a lot of time to dive into it, but I'll just say this about Balaam. Balaam, uh, ba- the, the sin of Balaam was marrying people that were unbelievers. And you want to hurt and ruin your family quickly? Marry someone who does not believe the way you do. Marry someone who's lost. Marry someone who, who, uh, who, who is gonna conflict with you spiritually. Marry someone who's gonna lead you astray and down a path, uh, uh that, that's secular in thinking and you'll have children who are confused and don't know what to do and which way to go. They gave in to Balaam first and then came Baal and Ashtaroth behind that. Baal and Ashtaroth there represent idolatry. Very heavy idolatry. And let me say this, that wrong choices in marriage oftentimes lead to idolatry. Lead to an idolatrous lifestyle. Oh, you may not get down and bow down to a piece of stone or metal, but you'll bow down to a car. You'll bow down to a paycheck. You'll bow down to a bank account. You'll bow down to a a, 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 a type of clothing or a brand of clothing. And, and those things are just as much sin as what goes on in, in, uh, in pagan churches all across our land where people go and bow down to an idol. Israel's moral collapse. What happened was they forsook the Lord and they began to worship other gods. Tonight, let me ask you a question. Who, who do you worship? Who do you worship? You say, well, we're here on a Wednesday night. That's great. Right now, you're worshiping the Lord. Who are you going to worship tomorrow? Who are you going to worship on Friday? Who, how about on Saturday? Who will you worship? And I'm here tonight to tell you that what you watch on TV, how you uh, converse on, uh, uh, with, with your friends, uh, your social media habits, all those dictate what's really deep down in your heart. Israel's moral collapse. Number two, we see Israel's moral compass. Look at Judges chapter 17 and verse 6 with me. Judges 17 verse 6 is where we began. And again, the Bible says there, in those days there was no little K king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Turn over a couple more pages with me to Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. 
your previous pastor used to tell you all the time that he repeated things. Uh, repetition was the key to learning, right? I've heard that said a lot uh, about Pastor Pezlak. It's very true. Repetition is the key to learning. And God used that idea of repetition in the Bible. Verse 25, uh, almost exactly. In fact, I think word for word, it is exactly the same verse as Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I, if it's in there once, it's important. If it's in there twice within four chapters, I'd say it's really important. Uh, what happened, because there was no eyeballs looking at, down on them, they felt as though they could just do however they defined right. Today, um, I went out uh, door hanging. We've got uh, the door, door hangers we're trying to get out, and um, um, I think I count what I got. I got about 250 left, 280 left. I started with 1,300, so I'm getting down to the end. All the, assist, all the pastoral staff's doing about 1,300. Angela's helped me with some of those, uh, but um, uh, we've together we've got about uh, 250 left. Today I was outdoor hanging, and I came up on a house, and the strangest thing, and it bothered me. They had this, uh, this decoration of a little boy. And he had his elbows up on the, and it was just decoration, but had his elbows up on the window. He had a pair of binoculars up to his eyes, and on the end of the binoculars were painted eyeballs, as if it was staring at you. And I thought, I'm being watched. I had to look twice and three times to see if it was a decoration or it was real. I went to the side door and put the, put the door hanger on there, because I was creeped out by that decoration. Uh, there was a study done in a, a, a work break room. They had a problem with people stealing stuff off the table by the microwave, taking too many condiments, or maybe there was a donut tray put out and people were taking more than they were supposed to. And so they, they tried different ways to curb the thievery. And uh, they put a sign up and said, uh, uh, only one donut permitted or only a, a two or three sugars permitted or whatever it would have been. And uh, that didn't work. So they put a, a security camera up in the corner and it was not hooked up to anything. And sure enough, people figured out that it didn't really work. And so people kept taking more than they were supposed to. And then they put a sign on the wall above the microwave of two eyeballs and no other text on it. And the stealing stopped. The stealing stopped. Why? Because they felt like, subconsciously, they were being watched. Israel had no physical king to keep an eye on them. They had the God in heaven keeping an eye on them, but they had lost a fear for their God. They had forgot they were being watched, so they did that which was right in their own eyes, and it caused a moral Collapse. Why? Because they lost their moral compass. Here's the truth. You could have walked up to one of those people who was living a lascivious lifestyle, who's living a sensuous lifestyle. Maybe someone who's had kids with three or four different women and uh, they're running around living uh, just however they want and using whatever language they want. And, and, and you could walk up to them and say... Uh, uh, do you think you're a good person? They probably would have said, yes, yes. Because they had justified their own actions. You know, as I go around this community, and I knock on doors, and I say, uh, how you doing? And strike up a conversation. If you died today, are you sure you're going to heaven? Oh, yeah, 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 I know I'm going to heaven. 
What are you uh, trusting in to get you into heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You know what that is? They're doing that which is right in their own eyes. You know, the truth is, I could go around this country and I could ask uh, every single one of the nearly 300 million people that live in this country, and most of them would say that they're pretty good people. The truth is, I could go into a prison and I could go cell by cell and I can ask each inmate if they think they're a pretty good person, and most of them would tell me yes. Why? Because they're doing that which is right in their own eyes. And their moral compass is confused. Judges 2.13 says, And they forsook the Lord, they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Asheroth, and they thought that was a good thing. Their mentality was twisted. Tonight, I'm asking, would like to ask you this question. How deeply do you fear a holy God? How regularly are you reminded that He's watching your every move? Tonight when you go home and you turn on the TV, don't forget that Jesus is sitting on the couch right next to you. Tomorrow when you get in the car and you turn on the radio, don't forget that Jesus is riding in the passenger seat. Tomorrow when you get into an argument with your spouse, don't forget Jesus is sitting at the kitchen table and He hears everything you say. You see, we forget that Jesus is watching us. How many of you have used that tactic with your children? I don't, I don't know if you're lying, but Jesus knows. I wasn't there to see what happened, but Jesus saw it. Can we be honest? How many of you parents or grandparents have ever used that tactic? As your pastor, can I remind you that Jesus knows? Jesus knows. If we live with that in the forefront of our mind, then every time you're tempted to sin, that temptation will run. What happened to Israel? They had a king, but they didn't see his physical eyeballs. And so they behaved as though they had no king. Can I say that as a country, it's no different? We're talking individually, but corporately, it's the same. Now, these verses are used about the United States of America, and uh, there's great apl- application to be uh, made for the United States of America, but these verses were not written for the United States of America. They were written for the nation of Israel. Psalm 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people uh, whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. Proverbs 14:34, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now again, uh, the Bible is Israeli-centered, and so those are written specifically for Israel, but they apply to us as well here in the U.S. As a country, uh, we have lost our moral compass. Do you realize that over 60 million babies have been murdered in the womb since Roe v. Wade? And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. You know, God does not go down to Hollywood to check the uh, the temperature of our country. He doesn't go down to a Planned Parenthood facility to check the temperature of our country. You know where He goes? He goes to the church house. If uh, my child has a fever... I don't pull out the the thermometer and stick it between the toes of his feet. There are other places to check a child's temperature. God doesn't put the thermometer up to Hollywood. He doesn't put the thermometer up to to, uh, to the, the music industry crowd, wherever they're based out of these days. 
God checks the temperature of the church house. And can I tell you this? It's not just the pastor's temperature he takes. It's yours too. It's yours too. Collectively as a church, how are we doing with living in a way that would stay off God's judgment from this country? If everybody in this church lived their life the way you did, would this church be more like Christ or less like Christ? Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You know... Um, I can't go to Georgia and make everybody there repent. I can't fly out to Utah and do that. I can't make everybody in Connecticut repent, but I can repent. I can get on my knees and I can pray. And I can seek God's face and I can turn from my wicked ways. And you can do the same. That's how it starts, one at a time. We've seen Israel's moral collapse. We've seen Israel's moral compass Number three, we see Israel's miserable cycle. As you read through the book of Judges, you see history repeat itself one generation after another. It's the same cycle repeated over and over and over and over again. What was the cycle? Well, letter A, sin. Sin. Here is the endless cycle. Sin. Look at Judges chapter 2 and verse 11 with me. And again, I could have gone to seven or eight places in the book and chose these verses because it's the same story all over again. Verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asheroth. So they, uh, they reject God. They turn to sin. They turn to Balaam or, or false or bad marriages. And then they turn to idolatry. So sin. What happens next is slavery. Let her be slavery. By the way, slavery always follows sin. You do, do not own your sin. Your sin owns you. I promise you that. You might say, well, I'm having fun with my sin and I can stop anytime I want. Then stop. Just go ahead and stop. It's not that easy. You see, sin puts shackles around you. And in the end, sin kills you. Look at verse 14. Judges 2.14 And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Slavery. They chose their sin, they rejected their God, and God said, okay, if you're not going to give me attention, if you're not going to let me lead you, if you're not going to recognize me as being your king, then what I'll do is I'll allow some wretched pagan country who you're trying to emulate come in and take you over. Oftentimes, oftentimes I... Uh, I find myself trying to help people who are stuck right here in the cycle. You see, um, Brother Mark and Brother Owens, you guys work 
with the addictions crowd on Friday nights. Brother Mark, you're a recovered addict of 25 plus years. And I've had both of you individually. You cannot help an addict until they're ready to help themselves. If they're still running around and having fun with sin, they may think they want help, but until they hit rock bottom and they're willing to quit blaming everyone else and own it themselves and actually feel the pain of the slavery of their sin, there's very little you can do with them. But then when they begin to feel the consequences of their sin, and it hurts, and they begin to lose things, can I say tonight, don't let it get to that point. Don't let it get to that point. Men, if you're fooling around, don't lose your marriage before you've got to stop. Just go ahead and get it corrected now. Break free from that cycle. Sin, slavery, letter C, we see sorrow. Look at verse 18. Judges 2.18 And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reasons of them that oppressed them and vexed them. Sometimes I've got to punish my children. I hate doing that. I hate that part of parenting. Sometimes I've got to punish my children. And you know what? Especially if I catch them doing something that's wrong, and I catch it well after the fact that it's been done, there was no remorse shown before they got caught, but there's a whole lot remorse shown when they're about to get punished. And when dad's getting ready to walk in the room, oh man, the tears are flowing. They're sorrowful. Are they sorrowful because they sinned? Not always. Are they sorrowful because of the slavery from their sin? Yes. But God wants to see sorrow over our sin. Reminded of Matthew 5 where Jesus says, Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. I'm reminded of Psalm 51 where David wept over his sin and God was pleased over that. But the greater point here as well is that our sin brings sorrow. But our sorrow can bring repentance. And if your sorrow does not bring repentance, then the cycle cannot be completed. In fact, God will leave you in slavery. God will leave you in depression. God will leave you in sorrow until you totally repent from your sin and are ready to turn and leave it. You say, what is repentance? Well, repentance begins with a changing of the mind. I'm living a lifestyle that's wrong and that is uh, uh, disastrous and is awful for me and I'm going to mentally turn away from that. And it begins in the mind, but it turns to an action. Repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to changing of an action. And you see here that that's what would happen with the Israelites. They would be so sorrowful, they would groan from their sin. And then letter D, the cycle would be completed, and that is salvation. Look at Judges chapter 2, and we'll actually see salvation, and then we'll see them go right back to sinning, which is step one of the cycle. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods, that's interesting language, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way 
uh, which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, uh, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge for repent of the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves back to the sin more from their fathers in following other gods to serve them, not to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. They would repent, God would send about salvation, and what would they do? After that judge died, they'd go right back into the sin, and then back down to the slavery, and then back to the sorrow, and then back to the salvation. And I'm here tonight to tell you that some of you have been in that cycle. You'll break away from cigarettes for a while, and then you think you're free, and you let your guard down, and you're right back in. You break away from pornography for a little while, you think you're free, you think you're in the clear, you let your guard down, you quit walking with God, and you're right back in. You, you, you quit the lying for a little while, you think you're free, you think you're clear, you let your guard down, and you're right back in the cycle. And I'm here today to tell you that the only way to break from that cycle is to walk with God. You've got to walk with God. Now again, some of you here, you're not into pornography. You're not into cigarettes. You're not into drinking. But are you into lying? Telling a little lie here and there? Are you into pride? Is pride your pitfall? Uh, Label it, identify it, and say, I'm not going to let this continue to let me live in mediocrity. Number four, and lastly, we see Israel's many commanders. There were a total 12 judges found in the book of Judges. There are two additional judges mentioned in 1 Samuel. I'll just go through them here quickly. Not too quick, but you have Othniel. He's from chapter 1, verse 9 through verse 21, and then he's mentioned again in chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Uh, during his era, they were in slavery for eight years, and then because of Othniel's delivering, they had peace for 40 years. Then next came Ehud. By the way, let me just throw this out here. If you like action, if you like uh, blood and guts, if you like military type stuff, read the book of Judges. Oh boy. And especially read the story of Ehud. That one's interesting. That one's very interesting. But Ehud, you find him from chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. They were in slavery for 18 years. And because of the deliverance through Ehud, they had freedom for 80 years. Next came Shamgar. He's found in chapter 3, verse 31, through chapter 5 and verse 6. The numbers there for slavery and peace aren't given. Next you had Deborah with, uh, with uh, spineless Barak, who uh, had to lean on a woman to lead him. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 31. Uh, they were in slavery for 20 years, and God gave them peace for 40 years. Next we find Gideon, chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 32. They were in slavery for seven years because of their sin, and God gave them peace for 40 years. And then I'm not going to read all these. you got Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. Some of those, I think Samson would be the most popular name. And they're sprinkled from chapter 10, verse 1, down through chapter 16, verse 31. And the various totals there are given in those stories. In 2 Samuel... Uh, you find reference to Eli and Samuel, who would have been, Samuel would have been the last judge. 
Can I play on your patriotism here for a minute? How many of you would raise your hand and say you love America? We all love America, right? Um, our generation will fade off the scene, and we're going to hand this country to our children and our grandchildren. Some of you are a little closer to that than others. But the day's coming where they're going to put me in a casket and they're going to bury me in the ground. And Matthew and April and Matthew and April's children, this is going to be their country. Can I say tonight, America is on its way to being morally bankrupt. Morally bankrupt. I believe this is because Christians are becoming morally bankrupt. The church has followed the world at a distance. But as the world has become more secular, the church has become more secular. Some people might walk in our church and say, you know, the songs you sing, they're a little old. Some of the methods you use, they feel a little outdated. And we're trying to stay current with the culture in ways that are not compromising. But can I just say this? I would rather err on the side of caution. I'd rather err on the side of caution. I don't want to be the first one into a church fad. And I don't want to be the last one in either necessarily if it's not sinful. I think there's some wisdom in there. Uh, but God is checking the temperature of the church house to know the temperature of the country. And I don't want us as a church to follow behind the world and be secular in anything that we say or do in a way that would displease the Lord. The greatest error that Israel made was that they continued, they continued to make it uh, let, me, let me begin that again. The great, greatest Israel uh, error that Israel continued to make is that they did not properly equip the next generation to be able to overcome the sins of their fathers. I hope that I can teach my children the spiritual principles necessary to place them on a path that leads them to greater spiritual heights than I will ever attain. Let me drill that home here for a minute. Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa... Your goal ought to be that your children will be more godly than you. Not less godly than you. You ought to put them on a path that they will learn eventually to be closer to God than you will ever become. That ought to be your goal. What if every single family sitting in a good gospel preaching church around this country made that their goal? Oh my goodness. You say, well, my children are raised. Then when grandkids come along... Raise, help influence them to do what's right in any chance you get. Individually, the challenge is simple. Do you find yourself in the sin cycle? Sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. If so, you need to turn to the Lord, have a stronger walk with Him, and have Him help you break free of that. But as a country, as a country, let it not be said about us that the only thing we learn from history is that we do not learn from history. As we review the book of Judges this evening, let's commit that we will learn from history. Let's learn from history. Let's lead our children to do what's right. By ourselves living to do what's right. My friends, the eyes of the Lord are upon us, beholding the evil and the good. May we live with that in mind. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Judges, going in cycles.